Well, welcome home and welcome to the Mount Carmel Ministries podcast. Today we pick up with Wayne Peterson on his third teaching session on the book of Philippians. Again, the central music is provided by Patsy and Tim Beglian. going to jump into Philippians, and we left off yesterday with Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 11. So we're picking it up at verse 12 in chapter 2 because, you know, Tim, these chapter divisions were all man-made. It wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit. The chapter breaks, a bunch of monks got together and decided to divide it up. And it doesn't, so we can divide it however we want today and ignore the chapters. But let's turn. Uh, I've divided today into uh, the first part is live right. The second part is partnership. And then we're going to have fika, and we will come back for the climax of this section, the beginning of chapter 3, knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. That's an exciting portion we're going to we're going to finish there with, the, with that whole thing and knowing Jesus. My first introduction, great memory of LBI, was a lot of people from our neck of the woods went to Lutheran Bible Institute. I mean, that was a, a big deal to go to LBI and study the Bible. And um, we had Sunday school in a little country school called Woodland, Looks, Woodland Nook School. We've walked past that. The building isn't there anymore. And there, there was an, uh, grades one through eight in that school. But Sunday, the church would use that. And we sat at these wooden desks, you know, with the inkwell thing and the folding seat. You've sat at those. And um, we had LBI Bible studies. And they were spiral bound. They were, I remember they were blue on the outside, spiral bound. And uh, I remember that LBI material that we were using in our, I must have been about six years old. And then I remember us singing, this jumps out at me, Thank You, Lord, for Saving My Soul. That was a good LBI song, wasn't it? Let's sing it. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me Thy great salvation so full and free. Now there's denominational deliberation here. Some sing salvation so rich and so free. Some sing so full and so free. I kind of like the full one. Salvation so full because it's complete and, and free. Let's sing it again. Some of you don't know that one. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so full and free. Maybe that was just a woodland nook thing and not LBI. But um, anyway, my cousin went to LBI uh, among many in our community. His name was Gib Lee. And Gibb went on to uh, Concordia College, Luther Seminary, and became the uh, bishop of the Western Minnesota District. Gibb was my cousin. 
passed away just about six years ago. His wife, Nancy, still lives in the Twin Cities. So that's the connection. Okay, back to Philippians, verse by verse. Um, Frank is a, a wonderful preacher, a thematic preacher, as he hits these major themes in Philippians. I'm the, uh, if you're familiar with this, expository style of preacher where we go verse by verse by verse and exposit each verse. Some we uh, gloss over, some we go into depth. So look at verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. This is chapter 2, verse 12. You followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important because Paul wasn't there uh, to help them. But he's saying, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Whenever the word fear is in the Bible, I like to call, uh, translate it as reverence. It's not a fearful, like I'm scared. It's a reverence, a high degree of reverence and respect. Obey God's word with great reverence. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thank you, Tim, for praying this every day, hallowed be thy name, we are reverencing God. We are addressing him as our heavenly Father, at the same time showing reverence for his holy name. And Paul says, continue to work to bring your salvation to completion. Now, since we have so great a salvation... We need to show the results, as Frank was saying last night, the fruit, the fruit that comes from the vine. We are attached to the vine, so we show the results of our salvation, and we obey God in reverence and awesome respect. You know, there's kind of a palsy-wellsy movement with God, you know, that pal, God is our best friend, he's our pal, and he's our... And he is. We are not only his servants, we're called his friends, we're called family. At the same time, we need to preserve that awesome respect for our holy God and have this reverence. It's a combination of that. But he says, live a pure life in deep reverence for God. Work hard to show your salvation. Now, it's interesting. We're not saved by works. Salvation is a gift. We receive it by faith. And yet... He says, work hard to show the results. Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit does it in us. But there's a certain amount of self-discipline involved too, isn't there? And in, in, in the disciplines of Bible study and prayer and scripture memorization and seeking to live a holy life. It's a, uh, to me, salvation is Christ alone. But living it out requires some effort and discipline on our part implanted by the Holy Spirit. It's certainly the, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but, you know, we've got to be willing to cooperate and go along with the Holy Spirit and uh, showing the results of our salvation. Let me ask you a question. Do people around you see salvation working out in your life? Do people in your church, in your community, in your family, see the results of your salvation in your life, that's really what it comes down to. Verse 13, we're camping. We're going to camp on this one for a while. As um, 
as uh, you know, catching up here in my Bible. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This is a fascinating verse to me. We all know that it takes God's strength to do his will. We need his power to do what he wants us to do. But we also need him to give us the desire to do his will. Desire is the 80% of following Christ. Yes, the strength is important, but if he gives us the desire, the will to do his will. Uh, I was a, a speaker and a counselor at a camp in North Dakota, and a young girl came after the session. She was 16, uh, a senior in high school, who was having an affair with a married man in their community. And clearly this married man was taking advantage of this young girl, but she was in love with this married man. And she was just, she was a Christian, and God convicted her of the sin, and she came with tears of repentance. And I said, are you willing to change? And she said, no, I don't want to change. That's the problem. I'm not willing to change. I love this man, and I, I don't want to change. And I remember telling her, you've got to ask God to make you willing to be willing. God, make me willing to be willing to change. And start there. And her prayer was, in great tears, Lord, make me willing to be willing to change. You've got to give me the will not just the power, but the will to change. Fortunately, um, a few months later, at, at another uh, retreat, she was there, and uh, as an answer to prayer, God had changed her mind and changed her heart, and she broke with this married man. And think of the grief this saved her, that she God made her willing to be willing to do what she knew was right and to be willing to change. How do we do this? It's God's work within us. He gives us both the desire and the power, the will and the strength to do God's will. If you're struggling with something today, maybe it's a, a judgmental, critical spirit. Maybe it's um, lustful thoughts. You know, the internet is a huge problem these days to even a lot of Christians. If you're struggling with a, an addiction of some kind or something you want to get rid of, ask God to change your want-tos. Lord, I want to change. Give me the willingness. Give me the want-to to change. Ask God to change your want-to. We uh, This verse reminds us that we have the power to pleasure God. It says, the power to do what pleases him. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire, the story of Eric Little. It's one of my favorite movies of all times. And Eric had this strong passion to run. And his sister challenged him. She wanted him to be a missionary and be a pastor and to, in order to please God, you've got to do this. And he says, no, God made me to be fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. His way of pleasuring God 
was to run fast. Verse 14 in our expository treatment of Philippians. Um, Frank touched on this last night. Do everything without complaining. (laughs) You don't allow complaining in your family, right? Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Uh, don't, part of this uh, meaning of this word complain in the original language, I'm told, is arguing. Don't argue with God. Don't complain. Oh, God, why, why does this happen to me? God, I thought you were a good God. How can this happen to me? Do everything. The, the word here is kind of murmuring in a low tone. It can even be, you know, not so much that you're complaining verbally, but, you know, just kind of that low grumbling about, okay, why do I have to do this kind of thing, getting through life. Um, You know what happened to uh, Israel when the Israelites complained? They murmured. Moses said, these people are murmuring. And God made a severe judgment on the people of Israel. It, It maybe seems like a small deal to us. It's a big deal to God is that we have a bad attitude and we murmur and complain and grumble about stuff. That's not the tone we're supposed to have. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Wow. Is that true today? We live in a dark world. Let's face it. We're going through... Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer <laughs> in the midst of the broken world, a world of tribulation, because he says, I have overcome the world. When Christians argue and gossip and complain, it's picked up by the world around us. I don't like these uh, people in the church that are all, always criticizing other people in the church. I don't like it. They may be right in what they're saying, but I don't believe we should hang in our dirty laundry on the clothesline for the world to see. There are things that need to be addressed, but when we go public in criticizing or judgmenting other Christians or other ministries, it casts a, a, a dark shadow on our life with Christ. And we should be bright lights in the world around us. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and not glorify you. They may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we should be as bright lights in a dark world. Hold firmly. Verse 16, hold firmly to the word of life. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Maintain, hold on to God's word. Some of the problems in the church today are because we've not held on to the word of God. The questions we have about morality and Sexuality and abortion and race. The problems that it's because we're not holding on to God's word. 
And when we lose our anchor in God's word, what do we have? Then it's just all theory and guesswork. And your word is as good as mine. But hold on to God's word. If we lose that standard, what right do we have to say right or wrong or truth or error? Holding on to God's word like an athlete in a race, holding on. Um, lest I, so I do not run the race in vain. Um, I, I'm a, I used to be a runner, a long distance runner, not so long distance anymore. But when you're running in a race, if it's a 5K or a 10K or a marathon, you're always focusing on the finish line. And you hold on. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. And uh, keep pursuing that finish line, holding on to the race that we might finish well. Uh, we're going to uh, go on to... Uh, you know, this whole thing about living as bright lights in the world and not criticizing other people. Uh, I heard the story of a, of a guy who was uh, walking across the bridge. And there on the bridge was a guy standing on the edge, ready to jump. <laughs> so this guy was a Christian. Uh, he, he went up to the, the guy that was about to jump, and he says, don't do it. The guy said, nobody loves me. And he said, well, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And he said, uh, yes. And the guy said, are you a Christian or a Jew? And he said, me too. I'm a Christian. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. And the guy said, hey, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. And I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Basket Baptist? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist. And I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern religion? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. And I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die heretic and pushed him over the bridge. <laughs> Verse 17. Love that story. Uh, verse 17. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, Paul said. Here we go back to that whole theme we had yesterday. To live as Christ, die as gain. And Paul said, I will continue, I will rejoice even if I lose my life. He's in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to get out or be killed. But he says, pouring out my life like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. He is talking here about the Romans, when they sacrificed to their pagan gods, poured out a wine offering on their altar. And the Jews, when they sacrificed, they, they poured out the, the, the blood uh, on, the, on the altar, poured out the uh, blood as an offering, a liquid sacrifice to God. And Paul says, I'm pouring out my life like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. 
And Paul said, this will be a joy, even if it means death. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Make your life a living sacrifice. Uh, You know, the Jews, when they sacrificed it, it was a dead animal. Paul says, make your life a living sacrifice. Somebody said the problem with living sacrifices, they keep crawling off the altar. And, but we are to make our lives a living sacrifice, totally given to God. Your life, your life of service is a living sacrifice to God. Make your, what you do is a living sacrifice, whether you're uh, doing dishes, whether you're working in the canteen, whether you're setting up chairs, whatever, whatever you're doing, fixing cars for people, uh, singing, worshiping, whatever you're doing is your living sacrifice. Make your life a living sacrifice to God. Verse 23, we're moving right along here. Uh, let me just, I'm going to skip this portion a little bit, but this gets into the partnership. Uh, verse 19, Paul talks about his partner Timothy and his partner Epaphroditus. Timothy traveled with Paul wherever he went. And Paul often sent Timothy on assignments, like he sent Timothy to Ephesus when Paul couldn't go. Epaphroditus is somebody that the Philippians sent to Paul with an offering and to minister to Paul. So these were two faithful servants. Timothy, who traveled with Paul, went on assignment. And Epaphroditus that was sent to to Rome by the Philippians to minister to Paul. And then Epaphroditus got terribly sick, almost died, And the Philippians were really worried about him, but he got well, he was healed, and he went back. But Paul gives uh, real uh, uh, credit to Timothy and Epaphroditus for their faithful partnership in the gospel. And uh, you can read through that. In fact, I would invite you this afternoon, in in the middle of all these activities we have, you can read through Philippians in about 15 minutes. I would suggest that in the next day and two, you, you read through Philippians. It takes about 20 minutes to read through it. Better yet, go down by the lake and read it aloud. It'll make a difference. But uh, you can read through his uh, commendations for his partners in the ministry. But uh, we're going to go now into Philippians chapter 3, which is about knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. This is a tremendous favorite section. Verse 1, whatever happens, dear brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Some translations say, I say it again, rejoice. My translation is, I never get tired of telling you do these things. Rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, rejoice. Joy, okay, happiness is dependent upon life circumstances. I'm happy because I'm on beautiful Lake Carlos. I'm happy because I'm having great food. I'm happy because I'm with great friends. Life is great. Joy is what happens regardless of circumstances. Joy does not depend upon circumstances. My dear uh, mother-in-law, Bernice Ness, was in her 90s, wonderful Christian lady, school teacher, Sunday school teacher, Um, She could be pretty direct and honest. Um, She, at age 90, lost her beloved daughter, my wife Norma, 
who died at age 65. Her mom was 90-something. Then a year and a half later, she lost her husband of 62 years. Victor passed away. So in, in about a year and a half time, she lost her oldest beloved daughter and her beloved devoted husband. And she was in a nursing home. And she said, I get so tired of sitting in these four walls. You know, I feel sorry for people in nursing homes these days. They can't get out of their rooms for uh, group dining. They can't see their family because they're quarantined. It's really, really tough. Some of you know that. And I know of people that are dying in nursing homes and their family can't be with them during their final days. So here's Bernice, lost her daughter, lost her husband. She's in a nursing home. And Willie and I visited her which is a, a whole, another whole story. They welcomed dear Willie, and they said, call me mom and dad, which was really cool. But I'll never forget this. She said, I lost Norma, I lost Victor, but I choose to be joyful. I choose joy. So you can make a choice. Hardships can make you bitter, or they can make you better. When cancer comes, when death comes, when COVID-19 comes, when there are family issues, when you are disappointed with life, those things can make you bitter or they can make you better. And really the whole, I mean, here we're getting to, to the bedrock of Philippians. I choose joy. Joy here, according to Paul, is not just a suggestion. It's in the imperative mode. Rejoice! Exclamation point. I say it again. Rejoice! It's a command. Can we choose to be joyful? Yeah. We have a choice to make. We can either let it get us down or we can let it bring us up. And Frank, you, you had a quote last night about, I think it was you that said, never met a person in leadership. Was it you that said that? Say that again. Never let a person in leadership that hasn't gone through hardship. Yeah. And it's true. Most Christian leaders I've talked to over the years, at some point in their life, have gone through hardship disappointment, unfair treatment, unfair criticism. And they choose to grow through that time. Now, okay, we've seen Paul's soft side. We're going to see his tough side now. Because he's in verse 2, he says, watch out for the dogs. <laughs> watch out for the dogs. People who do evil those mutilators who say you have to be circumcised to be saved. Now, Willie and I have a cute little multi-poo, lap dog, 11-pounder, uh, cute as can be. That's not the kind of dogs <laughs> Paul is talking about. During those days, and some of you at a travel know that there are dogs that are wild. They just run wild. Nobody owns them, and they're, they're, they're just mangy, mangy, scrappy dogs. Yeah, like your neighbor's dog. He's talking about nasty dogs, not pets. 
the Jews used to call Gentiles dogs. I mean, that was their, uh, you talk about racial uh, inequality. They called Gentiles, they called the Greeks dogs. Paul is turning the table and saying, the Jews that insists on you have to be circumcised to be saved are the dogs. Because they're mutilating the flesh when it's not necessary. See, this goes back to the Council of Jerusalem that took place in Acts chapter 15. And uh, knowing early church history, there were the Jewish believers, that they were called Judaizers, because they insisted you have to keep the law to be saved. You have to keep the Sabbath, you have to keep the 600 laws, and you have to be circumcised to be saved. Then there were, Paul was coming, Paul and Silas were coming back and saying, all these Gentiles, all these Romans, all these Greeks are coming to Christ. Are you going to require them to be circumcised to be saved? We are now not under law. We are under grace. We're not in the old covenant. We're in the new covenant. So the Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 15 gathered together. Uh, Peter was there, Peter and and James. and, And Paul came back and told these marvelous stories of what was happening out on his missionary trips, that these Gentiles were coming to Christ. They were being filled with the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues. And why should we not accept them into the Christian family? And on hearing these reports, Peter and James and the others agreed that these Gentile believers should be accepted and they would not require circumcision. That was a huge decision in the early church. And they rejected the claims of the Judaizers that said you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. They even wrote a letter that went out to Antioch and the Gentile believers that said, as long as you abstain from eating meat, sacrificed to idols, and abstain from immorality, you're you're saved. We do not require circumcision. And that letter was sent out. But as you know, as you read through the following chapters of Acts, those Judaizers Judaizers followed Paul wherever he went and caused trouble and disruption. But Paul is calling them dogs, saying that they had to add to salvation follow the Old Testament laws. And these Judaizers tried so hard to keep the law, it was hard for them to accept the gift of salvation. This was very, very important in the early church. It was a a watershed time when, do we have to follow the old Jewish laws or not? And the Judaizers tried so hard to keep all the laws, to keep the dietary restrictions, the circumcision, They missed the gift of salvation by faith to what Christ has done. Jesus Christ paid for the total price for our sin. No more needs to be done on our part to please God. So Paul said we're going to safeguard the faith. For uh, Verse 3, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones that are circumcised. We put no confidence No confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort, 
Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their efforts, I have. And then Paul recounts his pedigree here. He says, if anyone could rely on what they've done for God, I could outshine any of them. And he said, um, verse 5, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was once a member of the Pharisees uh, who uh, demand the strictest obedience to the uh, law. I was, uh, verse 6, so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Wow. Impressive to anybody, right? Paul says, hey, if you want to have a contest about this, I win. He had a great pedigree. Just like our predecessor Martin Luther tried for years to please God by his works. He became a monk. He devoted... He, he, Deprived of himself, he stayed up all night praying. He would, you know, wake up at four in the morning, spend hours and hours in prayer, trying to find peace with God. And he could never find peace with God, until he found in Romans that uh, and Ephesians that you are saved not by your works, but by grace alone through faith. And all of a sudden, the light of the Holy Spirit dawned on him, and he realized there was no amount of good works that he could do. It was only by faith in the finished work of Christ that he could have salvation and have peace with God. And he came, I mean, he's our leader in this, that we as Christians, we as good Lutherans, no longer have to do things to please God. We believe on Jesus Christ by by faith, trust in him, and we receive salvation as a gift. So many people miss that. So many good church people miss the fact that it's not what we have done, it's what Christ has done that gets us into heaven. It's a big deal. Don't depend upon church attendance. Don't depend upon your parents' faith. It's only through Christ that we are saved. Human efforts, no matter how impressive they are, do not save us. It's only by grace alone, Christ alone, the word alone, grace alone. Verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. (laughs) What a change. A guy that depends upon being a Jew a Hebrew, a Benjaminite, a Pharisee. He says, all of these things are worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage. Uh, the word in the original is even stronger. It's counted as human excrement, dung. It's worthless. It's stinky. It's smelly. Put it away. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Could it be any more clear? And how is it that Satan has blinded the eyes of people to say, well, you've got to impress God with your works? 
But it's so much easier than that. Maybe it's too easy. Maybe that's why we stumble. It's, it's an act of receiving. It's receiving a gift. You know, I have a son-in-law that is proud, and he has a hard time receiving gifts. We try to be generous with our kids and grandkids. He has the hardest time receiving and accepting. And it's frustrating to me as a dad and a grandfather that he's not willing to gratefully receive what we want to give him. Our Heavenly Father wants to give us a gift. And yet many times in our pride, we will not simply accept a gift. We feel we have to do something to deserve it. And our Heavenly Father wants to give it to us. Verse, I mean, this is so clear. And uh, we're going to take, let's see, well, we'll keep going here. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness by obeying the law. He says, I want to know Christ. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Knowing Christ, we're going to camp on this a little bit. What does it mean to know Christ? It's not knowing about Christ. Many people in the church know about Christ. But do you know him? Do you know him? In the true sense of the word, everything else is garbage compared to knowing Christ. Being one with him. Let's let's just... Rewind a little bit, verse 9. And become one with him. I love that. Being, some translations say being found in him. God imputed Christ's righteousness on us. I, I'm reminded that just as we think about this, the parable of the publican and the sinner, of the, the Pharisee and the, and, the, and the sinner. Some would call this a parable, not sure it happened. I think my personal belief is Jesus' parables were things that actually happened, things that he actually saw happen that he drew from real life. It's not just a... His parables were not just made-up stories. They really happened. And maybe he saw this, or maybe others saw it, where the Pharisee goes into God's presence, and it says it prays with himself. <laughs> like, he didn't connect with God. He prayed with himself. And he said, God, oh, I thank you that I'm a Pharisee and that I, I'm a righteous person, and I'm not like this sinner over here. He compared himself. You know, I'm pretty good next to this sinner. And, and the sinner, the tax collector, that were despised, they were kind of the worst of the worst in the culture, said, wouldn't even lift up his head and said humbly, tearfully, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's where our relationship with God starts, isn't it? God be merciful to a sinner. And we know that when we pray that prayer, God hears us. We're not sure God heard 
the guy that prayed to himself. <laughs> but we know God heard the prayer of the penitent sinner that pled for God's mercy. And what did Jesus say after that prayer? What did he say? Louder. He was the one that went home justified in God's eyes. Not the, the religious guy, the sinner that said, God be merciful to me. He went home justified. That's a real lesson to us uh, today that we need. The core of the gospel is right here. Our righteousness cannot save us. Only Jesus can save us. Verse 10, back to this, knowing, knowing him. I like how the Amplified Bible in fact, I have copied this and I've got it in the front of my notes on my phone. The amplified version of Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving, recognizing, understanding, continually transformed. Let me read that again. I think it's so good knowing him, that I may know him progressively, becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving, recognizing, understanding, continually transformed. That's what I like about, when I came on camp here, somebody said, uh, we're part of the pietistic movement. That may sound strange to some people. What, do you think you're more pious than anybody else? No, that's not the point. Pietism is that we're seeking to become more and more like Jesus. That our walk with Christ becomes deeper. We become more intimately acquainted with him. That's the true meaning of that. And that's, I love that about the pietistic movement. And it usually has to be explained. But uh, we're, we're not thinking we're more pious. It's just the opposite. We're more in need of God's grace, but we want to become more like Jesus every day. That I may know him uh, Communion with God has to be our, our highest priority. And, and here's the thing about Paul that I appreciate. The mission was Paul's calling, but not his treasure. His treasure was God himself. Sometimes ministry can get in the way of God. <laughs> You ever find that the busyness of ministry keeps us from really getting to know Christ personally? Some of us that are in professional ministry, the, the ministry can get in the way of knowing God. Uh, Nancy Lee DeMoss, who's a, a personal friend of ours, uh, has written about this. Don't let the work of the ministry get in the way of knowing God, that I may know him. In New York City, there was a great actor who at the close of his performance one evening was greeted with thunderous applause after his performance. And uh, he responded, you know, took his bows and all of that kind of stuff. And somebody in the audience called him by name and said, would you read us the 23rd Psalm? And uh, so that was his encore. Apparently he was known for his dramatic recitation of Psalm 23. Uh, the actor was somewhat surprised, but he knew the psalm by heart. So he says, yes, I know the words of the 23 psalm. And he repeated them. And uh, he repeated the 23rd psalm as an actor would dramatize with great 
uh, emotion and gesture and proper emphasize. It was professional. It was doubtless impressive in every way, but uh, not very inspiring. And when he finished, there was more applause. And the actor called for silence and said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, there's a gentleman here, elderly man, sitting in the front row that I know. And I'm going to ask him without notice to come to the stage and really read the 23rd Psalm. So this elderly gentleman was, I mean, pretty overwhelmed. Here they are in a big Broadway theater, and he's asked by this great actor to come up, but he made his way humbly to the stage, and uh, he looked over the sea of faces in the audience, almost panic-stricken. Then he closed his eyes, folded his hands, and prayerfully said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want anything. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, The old man sat down, and there was not applause afterwards. There was just silence. But there was not a dry eye in the house. The actor, wiping his eyes, stepped forward and said, Ladies and gentlemen, I know the words of the 23rd Psalm, but this man knows the shepherd. There's a difference between head knowledge of God's word and the heart knowledge of knowing the shepherd. I'd like to pause here. We're going to have our break here in about five minutes. Could we just have a time of prayer uh, about knowing him? We're going to go on to the last part of this, which is tremendously challenging about the fellowship of suffering becoming like him in his death to attain unto the resurrection of the dead. We're going to finish with that. But I just think it would be appropriate right now. We're talking about getting to know Christ personally, thanking him for the gift of salvation, seeking to know him better, seeking to become more like him. Let's just have some group prayer and pray loudly, spontaneously, Or pray silently in your own heart. Talk to God. But let's just have, just take five minutes here to pray together. Lord, we thank you for the quiet of these moments. And may, with all the activities, may we find time today to be with you, to seek your face. Give us a passion for the things of God. Give us a heart to pursue God with all our heart, to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Speak to us in the quietness of this time at Mount Car- uh, um, Lake Carlos and Mount Carmel. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. Give us a renewed love for God and for others. And uh, as we take a break now, we thank you for these gifts. And as we come back to read this 
amazing passage about willingness to share in the sufferings and death of Christ. This is all such deep and important stuff and open our hearts and minds to understand and comprehend. Thank you for your blessed Holy Spirit that helps us in this way. Our comforter, our teacher, our encourager. In Christ's name, amen. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Mount Carmel Ministries podcast this week. We hope that you'll join us again next week for Wayne's next teaching session. In the meantime, please consider joining us for our new Lakeside Bible Initiative. More information about this initiative can be found at www.mountcarmelministries.com. The joyful